0: You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Awesome. Good morning. Great to see you guys' faces. I heard your voices. And let me just say thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of worshiping with you today. Um, it's something that I don't take for granted. Um, and usually I'm up here and I'm seeing you, and I, I it's harder to hear you sometimes. But man, I heard you guys loud and clear this morning, and uh, it just brought tears to my eyes because there's something powerful when we come together. When we worship together, uh, when we celebrate together, when we come, you know, even hurting and broken together. And so thank you guys for doing that today, for worshiping and letting me be part of it. Um, and thank you so much to the team for for stepping up and letting me do that, uh, that I don't have to worry about leading worship and preaching because uh, I would have gone crazy this week. Um, so this morning, uh, like Pastor Ben said, we are wanting to continue in the Gospel of Mark and continue uh, the series that is called Who is Jesus?, And the title for this series, I think, is perfect for what I'm going to be speaking about today. And it is perfect for this part of uh, Mark's story of Jesus. And so from the start of Jesus's ministry, there is this lingering question that's kind of hovering over everyone's head. And this starts pretty early in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And it's when Jesus says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then it says this, repent And believe in the what? The gospel. And so the question that should be on everyone's mind from this point on in the story is, what is the gospel? Or quite literally, the gospel, it actually just means good news. And so it's more like, what is this good news that Jesus is speaking about? And so if you read Mark, you may notice that there are these moments. And moments that we'll talk about today when the disciples or the Pharisees or even sinners, they ask, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? This happens all the way until Jesus asks uh, the disciples themselves who they think he is. And after seeing all these miracles and seeing all these healings and, and hearing his teaching, that's when we hear who he truly is for the first time. That Peter says to him, you are the Christ. This is the good news that's hinted about all through these stories until about halfway through the Gospel of Mark. This is the good news we'll also hear about today. So as you read Mark and as we go through this series together, um, just remember to be aware of all these little hints and all these little things leading up to the pronouncement of who Jesus is in chapter 8. But for now, let's jump into our message in Mark chapter 1. Did you ever have maybe that person or that friend um, in your friend group that always got made fun of? And no matter what they did, no matter how hard they tried, they were always the outcast amongst your group of friends. They were the butt of every joke. They were, you know, the, the, the slight of every insult. They got the onslaught of all the abuse. Did anyone have someone like that growing up in your friend group? Any of you guys? Interesting. Well, let me tell you, if you didn't have a person like this in your friend group, chances are... It was probably you. And it's okay. We're in a safe place. We can all admit it. It was you. It was me. So we're we're okay. Just hug yourself, sit in your chair, rock back and forth. It'll be okay. We'll get through this together. You're in like company, it appears. And so what always cracked me up about these friendships is that only you and your group of friends could pick out on the outcast in your group. Only my friends we're allowed to pick on little nerdy me. And so it's one of those unwritten rules or one of those unwritten laws of childhood. If you saw someone else picking on your friend, you would run up and without hesitation, you would say something like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Turn to the person next to you and say it with gusto. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Yeah. Anytime someone does something out of character or different than expected or anytime our expectations aren't met, this phrase, it gets thrown up into our minds like it was the top choice on Family Feud. And survey says, who do you think you are? As I was reading Mark this week, This was the phrase that I kept thinking over and over again as I looked through the different characters in the story and their situations. That, you know, I tried to put myself as one of the people reading it for the first time, and I realized that nothing in this story went how I would have expected the situation to go. So over and over and over again, I kept asking these characters, who do you think you are? And maybe someone has said that to you. Who do you think you are to try to get anywhere in life growing up the way you did? Who do you think you are to think you could fit in in this job or in this career field? Who do you think you are to think you can be the first person in your family to go to college or to get out of drugs or to not leave your kids? Who do you think you are to fight for your marriage or try to crawl out of debt? Who do you think you are to ask me if Pepsi is okay? And who are you? Who do you think you are to pick on little nerdy me whenever I was 10 years old? Maybe uh, maybe sometimes that question has motivated you to triumphantly beat the odds. Or maybe sometimes that question just beat you down. With that, let's read the first story of this morning. We have two stories. The first one is in Mark chapter 1. Verse 40, it's on page 12 of that little Mark handbook uh, that Pastor Ben showed you guys. And and if you don't have one, you can even walk out. I think there are a few still left in the lobby. But let's read Mark chapter 1. It says, and a leopard came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. From every quarter So the first thing I found myself asking was leper. Who do you think you are? To have leprosy in that time meant that you were an outcast from society. Leprosy, for those who don't know, is a skin and it's a nerve condition, and, and it's very, very contagious. Many times, those who had it, they would be covered in sores. The nerves would cause them to lose feeling in their limbs and eventually the bones would break or sometimes they would even fall off and they wouldn't even notice. Most lepers probably look like corpses more than living beings because leprosy was a death sentence. Think of it like the cancer or the AIDS of that day. Leprosy was so contagious that those who had it, they couldn't even be in town and they had to walk on the other side of the road if someone came by who didn't have leprosy. Most lepers, they weren't even allowed to touch anyone or they weren't even allowed to touch something that someone might touch in the future. Many ancient writers and historians have even talked about healing leprosy being as impossible as raising the dead. So this was truly a death sentence indeed. You know, hearing this story, it reminded me of when the Ebola virus made its way into the United States, and uh, it was probably around 2014 or so, I remember airports in Africa and the rest of the world had these ridiculous and crazy screenings that, that people who even just had a fever were held captives while the authorities waited to see if they had the flu or something more fatal. And in America, I remember we had the first one or two cases of people being diagnosed. And instantly, they were quarantined along with anyone else they had affiliation with. They all had to be tested. Everything had to be scrubbed. And there was a scare that spread across the United States that there would be this epidemic. And I just remember everyone kind of being on the edge of their seats waiting to see what might happen. Leprosy was handled with the same sort of intensity. So who does this guy think he is to approach Jesus? This guy could have been killed for doing less. He did something that was unfathomable at the time. Who does he think he is to come anywhere near Jesus? Jesus. If someone was hearing this story in the first century, reading it for the first time, they would be shocked. And they would be horrified by what was taking place. Can you imagine what you would do or what they would have done in that situation? They would have ran. They would have gotten out of there as fast as possible. They would have picked up anything near them and threw it at him to try to kill him. But what did Jesus do? Jesus touched this man. This man who hasn't been touched by his soul in who knows how long. This man who hasn't felt an embrace who didn't have to hug himself, telling himself it was okay, you know, that he was that guy that got picked growing up. This man who hasn't held another person's hand, the first person to reach out and embrace him for the first time in a very, very long time was none other than Jesus. And the touch that should have made Jesus unclean, instead it has the opposite effect, that most people think that Jesus would have walked away with leprosy himself. He would have left unclean, but instead this man with leprosy walks away a man with leprosy no more. This walking corpse leaves with a new life because of Jesus. And isn't that how our lives should be? That those who come to us broken or bruised or dirty or falling apart would walk away from us feeling whole again? that the love of Jesus welling up inside of us would radiate into the lives of everyone who we came in contact with? What if we dedicated our lives to putting broken people back together again? What if we saw the people who were walking around like the walking dead and we breathed life into their bones, that we would give people hope again, that we would show people Jesus? Jesus had everything every right to leave the leper where he was, and no one would have batted an eye. Jesus could have left us in our sin and in our brokenness as well because he's God. But instead, Jesus has reached out his hand to make us clean. Isn't that incredible? Um, Before we move on to the next story, uh, we're going to jump into Mark chapter 2 you might have been thinking as we were going along and asking yourself why Jesus told this leper not to tell anyone that Jesus had healed him. Jesus tells this guy, don't tell anyone. And the guy is so excited just to even be able to talk to people in general that he tells everyone. And it's easy for us to read this and to get mad until we think of what it would have been like to be utterly alone and on the brink of death. But Jesus told this leper not to, not to say anything. And this goes back uh, to two verses before where we started today, where Jesus said to the disciples, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came. You know, Jesus' intention, it wasn't to be a healer. You know, there were many people who claimed to be healers, and they wanted everyone to share in their accolades so they could make money. And so, you know, they would come, and they would set up their stand, and they would be like, hey, watch. And they would be like, ooh, ta-da, money, please. You know, like that, that was their MO. You know, in my head, that worked out better. Apparently, you guys, uh, I don't know. Okay, it's okay. But these guys they wanted to do whatever they could they wanted to be seen by everyone every other healer at the time because they wanted to make money off of it but jesus he did something different jesus's goal it wasn't to be a healer but to teach the world about who he is and why he came jesus wanted the world to know the message he was preaching and not to follow him or not to come to him for the wrong reasons that jesus knew this healing would bring many people to his door and that meant that there would be less opportunities for him to share about who he is. And after the story of this leper, we'll see in a second that that's exactly what happened. And so with that, let's look at Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was where? He was at home. Imagine being Jesus and being so famous that now you can't even find solace in your own home. And maybe Jesus, all he wanted to do was rest. All he wanted to do was get away. Maybe he wanted to pop his legs up on the recliner, watch some Netflix, and eat some Cheetos because that's what I'm probably going to do today after service. But wait, you know, it's the first service, so he'll probably recline in his custom-carved stone furniture whilst enjoying some Benjamin and Gerald's or something. But instead of finding sanctuary in his own residence, Jesus had people crowding into his home and literally crawling through the walls. So can you just imagine, just imagine for a second, and if you need to, close your eyes and think of the heat and the smells that would be there from having that many dirty, sweaty people standing in a house with no air conditioning and soon, because the roof is getting removed, no shade in over 100-degree weather, in a time when people didn't use deodorant or a shower. Imagine standing there and not even having room to sit down or to like move your arms around. As I was thinking about it, like I was crawling out of my skin. Who do these, who do these friends of this guy think they are? Who do they think they are to crash through Jesus's ceiling? Who do they think they are to come uninvited to his home? Who do these friends think they are to ruin Jesus's, Jesus's ceiling? But oddly enough, these friends, they remind me of the kind of friend I would like to be. The kind of friend I strive to be. And we can say, you know, they were great friends for bringing their crippled buddy to Jesus. But, you know, they didn't really know who Jesus was. They were just concerned for their friend. But let's remember how easy it is to bring people to Jesus. Not, not necessarily to church, but to Jesus. You know, one thing I noticed um, in my walk with Jesus is that some people uh, might not come to church if you invite them. Some people might not even want to talk about Jesus or religion, or maybe if they do, all they want to do is complain about it. Um, I've had many conversations like that. But I know if, if, if someone's going through a tough time, they almost never will turn down an offer for prayer. That's how you bring someone to Jesus. You just have them hear how you talk to him. You have them hear about how much you love them and how much you care for them by how you pray for them. I love that these men, they brought their crippled friend to Jesus. Now, let's think of this crippled friend. You know, this isn't a friend that, you know, could help his buddies with the couch if they needed help moving. This isn't a buddy that could drive them to an airport if they needed a lift. This is a really needy friend. This was a friend that they had probably had to take care of for some time. Maybe even his whole life. This was a friend that that may have even needed help going to the bathroom. And they just didn't help him physically. They probably also helped him financially or even emotionally. And yet, I love that they would do anything for him. Can your friends depend on you this way? Or do you have any friends who are like that with you? You know, I, I think about it, and, and after I graduated college, I remember that I was very broke And I couldn't afford a car. I definitely couldn't afford insurance. And I had a huge amount of student debt and no job and no prospects and no experience. And did I say a lot of debt and no experience? And on and on and on. Welcome to the life of a young 20-something. But I had these two friends that ended up pulling an all-nighter from Missouri to Ohio and back to Missouri to help me move. And when I first moved to Missouri, one of them, they even let me crash in their guest room until I could sign a lease uh, to a new apartment with another friend. And and during that time, I remember, I would have to walk to work. And when it was snowing, it was about a 20-minute walk. And it wasn't a fun walk sometimes uh, because when it was snowing, I had to take plastic grocery bags and I had to wrap them around my shoes uh, because I couldn't afford boots. And so I would walk with plastic bags over my feet. And when it rained, I would have to pack an extra change of clothes, again, in a grocery bag, in a backpack. Because by the time I got to work, I would be drenched. And so I would have to change before I even got to work. And then if I, you know, didn't want to be, you know, if I wanted to wear those clothes again in the future, I would have to change back into the wet clothes to walk home after work. But, you know, there were some days when I would be getting ready for work, and then all of a sudden one of my friends would show up. Because they knew it was raining, and they knew I had a 20-minute walk in the rain that I dreaded every day. And I remember that I even had one friend who had a, um, a little moped or a little scooter that they had in storage that I was able to drive around for a little bit. I know that I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for them helping me along the way and cheering me along at every step. So when was the last time that you allowed yourself to be discomforted to bring someone else comfort? When was the last time we gave something to someone else without expecting anything in return? When was the last time we worked hand in hand with someone to help bring someone else closer to Jesus? It may mean getting up early once a week to grab coffee with a couple of friends. It may mean paying for the groceries of someone in need. Or maybe you just did it for the first time this Christmas when someone needed a car or a new computer, or when someone needed windows in their house, or someone needed help with Christmas presents. I want people to look at our church, to see our sense of community and how we love each other. And I want them to think who are these people? Who do they think they are to provide turkeys to the local school or to give someone a car who needed one? Who do they think they are? And who does this cripple think he is? Who does he think he is to trust the words of Jesus over his own experiences? Who does he think he is to trust Jesus over the diagnosis of the doctors? To trust Jesus, period. That cripple, he had more than just the ceiling to get through. He had a whole lifetime of excuses. Maybe you had a whole lifetime of excuses. Maybe your parents were addicts. Maybe they neglected or abused you. Maybe you were told you were dumb or would never amount to anything. Maybe you were told you'd never be active again or or that you were a failure. Maybe you were told that your record would always define you or that you'd always be a felon or that you would always be a victim of sexual assault. It's in these moments when Jesus comes and he offers us healing and wholeness and forgiveness. When we're asking ourselves that rhetorical question in our heads, who do you think you are? Jesus says that we are his. What I love about this story is that when Jesus saw, that Jesus, he saw what this man really needed. This man came for healing and he left not only being healed, but he left being forgiven. And isn't that all of our stories, that, that we thought we wanted these things to date this certain person or to get this certain job or to be able to buy that stupid car so that you wouldn't have to put grocery bags over your shoes to walk in the snow? But when we receive Jesus' forgiveness, we get so much more. We have victory over sin. We have promise of eternal life and a relationship with the God of God of the universe, that every day is a new day because we're a part of the new creation in Jesus. And I mean, it was also great when I ended up getting a car, but life with Jesus has brought so much more. But you know what? Not everyone will think that. After Jesus tells this crippled he's forgiven, it says that now some of the scribes, they were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And this is where I was really asking myself this question. Who do you guys think you are? To question Jesus. Who are they to miss the point of what Jesus is doing? That instead of seeing what God is doing in their midst, they're looking to see what they might criticize. They're making themselves known for What they're against more than proclaiming who they are for. You know, this is the first sign of opposition in the Gospel of Mark, and it slowly and slowly will get worse until the moment of Jesus' crucifixion. You know, many times opposition, it will come from outside the church. That, that culture may uh, try to have us question our values. That some may say, you know, religion is a sign of inferiority and that we should be more evolved as a species. You know, our friends at school or a boyfriend or a girlfriend may try to have us compromise our morals. You know, this happens all the time. You may, you know, even currently be facing opposition from your friends or your family or at work. You know, it's just a cigarette. It's just sex. It's just a couple dollars out of the cash register. You know, it's just this invisible ghost that you keep talking to. But sometimes, opposition, it also happens within the church. That we get so busy complaining about all the little details that we miss the big picture. That we worry about what people are wearing or we worry about the lighting. Or or maybe by making Jesus in the church less of a priority in our lives we're lowering the impact that Jesus might have in those around us, those who need him. Maybe we've equated our relationship with Jesus to a political party, or maybe even our citizenship as Americans. That maybe some of us, we don't even know anyone else who's not a Christian, and so we end up excommunicating anyone who isn't like us at all. In a strange turn of events, you know, we end up finding... Essentially, asking the same question back to those who are opposing Jesus. These guys who are looking at Jesus and saying, who do you think you are? We look at them and say the same thing. Who are you to miss out on what God is doing? Sometimes we need to ask ourselves that too, if we're doing the same. You know, there was a time in my life where um, I almost missed out on what God was doing. That whenever I was an RA in college, I had... Probably the worst student ever on my hall. His name was Milton, and he was a former gang member from inner city Chicago. And and before coming to our school, he had given his uh, life to Christ. He left the gang he was in and then came almost immediately to our very sheltered, very conservative, and very, very white Bible college. And so there were a lot of things that were a very strange adjustment for him. For example, Milton had never used a computer before, and believe it or not, many of the classes, you know, required him to use one to, you know, even write papers or to even see his assignments or to even look at his syllabus. And don't be fooled. You know, I know I have a beard. I know I have a deep voice, but I'm not that old. Like, my friends at the time all had iPhones. But Milton grew up in the projects, and he just never had a computer. He, he couldn't even go to the computer lab because he, he didn't know at all how a computer worked. And so many times he would come to my room, to, and I would let him work on my laptop so I could show him things like what the start menu was, and how to get on the internet, and how to open up Microsoft Word, and how to send an email, and things like that. So one day, I remember Milton and this other student, they almost got into it after this game of basketball that they were playing, and fists were about to fly. And Milton, I haven't mentioned this, was about 6'5", and 300 pounds, give or take 25. Um, So I don't think it would have ended up well for the guy he was up against. I don't think it would have ended up well for anyone. And so the next day, I was told that I had to go and talk to him about the incident, and then I had to send him to our dean for punishment. I had to talk down this semi-professional football lineman who could eat me for breakfast. And I just remember the guy was like a mountain to me. So when I sat down with him, I could remember the confusion and passion, and oddly enough, the excitement of Milton. That to me, I thought this would be a hard conversation and I would have to discipline him. But for Milton, he was just excited. He was ecstatic. He was so excited that he didn't hit the other guy. He was so proud of himself. And that's when I saw it. That's when I saw what Jesus was doing in his life. That's whenever I saw why he was so excited that Milton, whose whole life had been defined by violence, that had been defined by rage, he held himself back. And Milton saw how Jesus was transforming his own life, and it surprised him. And then through tears, I remember him telling me how hard he had been working and how often he was staying after our chapel services, trying to grow in his relationship with Jesus. It could have been really, really easy for me to look at the letter of the Lord, to look at our student handbook, and to see the situation. And it would have led to discipline for any other student, any other student at our school. It would have been easy for me, like the scribes in the story, to criticize the situation and to miss the bigger picture. But what I saw instead was transformation. What I saw was someone who was moving beyond who they used to be, Someone whom Jesus looked at and with compassion said, pick up your bed and go. Reading stories like this one in Mark, it just shows me how special Jesus is. You know, the, the scribes, they kind of thought well, what I was thinking. Who do you think you are? Jesus, who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. Only God can say what you're saying. Only God can do what you're doing. Jesus, who Are you to disrupt the way things are? And I love what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You know, the term son of man, it was from the book of Daniel. And it was a title used for a representative of God who would bring God's justice and judgment to earth. And it was very familiar in the Jewish culture that all these scribes are so familiar with it and they're looking forward to this person who would bring God's judgment and justice. They all knew who the Son of Man was in the book of Daniel. But they thought that the Son of Man was bringing judgment in a very different way. And instead of doing what they thought, Instead of punishing those who opposed God or those who had sinned against Him, the Son of Man forgave. The Son of Man forgives you today, too. No matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how far away you may feel from Him, no matter how many times you've repeated the same mistakes, Jesus is offering you forgiveness today. Jesus is offering you a second chance. Jesus is reaching out and embracing you like the leper. All you have to do is embrace him and follow after him. That a life with Jesus is a life of new beginnings, a life of eternal life, a life of victory, and a life of contentment. That's who Jesus is. Who do you think he is? He's a lot more than we could have ever hoped for or imagined. So maybe the world is asking you that same question today, or maybe you're asking yourself, who do you think you are? maybe that's something you're always wrestling with within yourself. Who do you think you are to walk into church today while your life is still a mess? Who do you think you are to raise your kids in a single-parent household? Who do you think you are to give your money away to missionaries halfway across the world when you're barely making it by? Who do you think you are to live in fear? You're pathetic. Who do you think you are to think things that will be different this time will never change? Who do you think you are to believe that you're not always going to struggle with addiction or you're not going to be able to push past your depression. Who do you are to think you could put your life back together? You have too far to go. You'll never be able to do it. Sometimes hearing those questions, they can motivate us. They can push us to victory. And sometimes hearing those questions and those voices, they can paralyze us to defeat. Before pastoring here, I um, I was a young adult pastor at a church on the East Coast. It's where I met my wife. Hi, wife. You're great. Um, one of the young um, men in in our group, he was struggling with these questions, wondering if he'd ever get out of the hole he was in. Um, he had been battling depression. He'd been battling anxiety. and And all the while, he was trying to treat them all by getting addicted to heroin. He was at the end of his rope, and, and I remember being out of state. I was visiting family when I got a call from him. That he was on his way to the train station, and his plan was to jump on the tracks and to take his life. And I was his last call of desperation. And I remember I was over a 1,000 miles away. And And it was... Even a miracle at the time that I had my phone that whenever I was spending time with my family, we had been in a place where we didn't have service and I wasn't carrying my phone with me most of the time. But this was the one time that week that I had my phone on me that I had signal. And I remember after talking to him, getting a hold of his parents, that I was able to talk him off the ledge. And I remember his parents got him and he was safe. And a few months later, he ended up checking, uh, ended up checking himself in Teen Challenge and how he's been clean for several years and and is even a New York City firefighter. And and every time I read this story in Mark, um, I think of him as the man on that bed and me as the friend who lowered him to the feet of Jesus. That I think of myself as, as that friend that fought for him even when he wasn't sure if he was willing to fight for himself. And I think often of what could have happened if I didn't answer that phone call that day. And this morning, I want to ask the worship team to to come up. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you, who are you in this story? Who do you think you are? Maybe like the leper or the cripple. You're just here trying to get your life back together. You don't really know Jesus, but you just know you can't keep living the way you're living. Or maybe you just need a miracle and you've heard that this is a place where miracles happen. Maybe you're one of the friends. Or maybe you need to be one of them. That you've sat on the sidelines for too long. And you know that there is someone. There's someone out there that needs you. Someone needs you in their connect group. Someone needs you to grab coffee with them or mentor them. Someone needs you to reach out to them that they might be at the point of desperation. They're looking for someone like you. Someone needs you to bring them to Jesus. Maybe you see the scribes and maybe you think of opposition, that maybe you've been critical of everything that's going on around you. Maybe you forgot the place that Jesus pulled you from. Maybe you've been pointing people to rules or, or maybe even dead religion instead of bringing them to the feet of Jesus. Or maybe you've been beaten down by the opposition and you've gotten bitter towards the church or others. Maybe you're more guarded and you're more closed off than ever. And maybe you feel like you're about to give up. I hope today that you can see that we serve a God who is for us. We serve a God who is fighting for us against us that when people ask you who do you think you are I hope we can say with confidence I am his Could we stand this morning we're going to take a moment to respond and sing this song together that we sang earlier today if you have any needs or if you just want more of Jesus you're more than welcome to come forward um, and we'll have people who will be ready to pray with you Pray for you. Um, and can we just open up this moment with prayer as well? Jesus, we thank you that you are the King of Kings, that you are the Lord of Lords, that we've reached out to you in desperation, that we've reached out to you in loneliness.
1: Father, we thank you for what you're doing here in our midst. Thank you, Lord, that you're here to meet us right here, right now. So I was listening to Pastor Bobby, I wrote down, don't miss what God is doing. I feel like that's a word for someone here today. What we see in this story is that these friends, especially the second story, they push through the crowd. They get on top of the roof. They got to cut a hole in the They they they're, they're lower, they are lower. they're making all this effort to get their uh, their friend to Jesus. And on their mind, the greatest need was that he would be healed, that he'd be no longer a paralytic. And you know, and sometimes we get in our minds, man, if we could only get a vehicle or if we could only get those windows fixed, or if we could only get new tires, or if there'd only be enough Christmas presents for my kids. We think that's our greatest need. And I'll just tell you, those things are important. And they're important to God. But more important is your soul. And this morning, we want to offer you the free gift of salvation. Before we open the altars, and I believe that uh, there are those that need to respond to, God, what are you doing in my life? Or what kind of needs can I bring? But before even that, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, Lord, help us to introduce you. That's why we exist. We are here to let you know that there's a way your sins, the things that you've done wrong in your life, which we don't have to convince anyone here. We're all uh, of age. To get our sins removed can only happen through the blood of Jesus, through Jesus dying on the cross for you. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you pray along with me, if this is your prayer, in a moment we're going to ask you by letting us know who you are. And it's important to do that. But let's pray. Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And Jesus, I believe you are my Savior. Right here, right now, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Take away my sins as far as the east is from the west, as, a, as the Bible says you do. Jesus, come into my life. Make my heart clean. And Lord, with your help, I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. I'm just going to ask everyone to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you just prayed that prayer with me, and you're saying, Pastor, that was my prayer. Would you just slip up your hand? I'm curious. Is there anyone here? Second service. Yes, thank you. A couples, a few in the back here. Who else? Saying, that's me. I need. I needed that. I needed to come back to the Lord. Who else? Is God moving, touching? Hallelujah. You can put your hands down, yeah. For the sake of the two, we'll be connecting with them here in a moment. But for the rest, with your head bowed and eyes closed, We're going to close this service giving you an opportunity to press through the crowds. That means press through the seats and climb to the roof, which means you're going to climb to the altar here and you're going to bring your needs to the Lord. I don't know what you're carrying today, what physical thing you need, financial miracle, relational issues, but I'm going to encourage you before we just dismiss and just are out on our uh, back back to the grind. There are some here that I believe need to spend a moment with the Lord saying, God, I need your touch. And now I just want you to know, Jesus, he is the healer. He's the miracle worker. He's the one that will help you. He's trust in him. And so I'm going to pray a closing prayer, a benediction, but then I just want to encourage you. You don't have to hustle off. The worship team is here just to continue to play, continue to provide atmosphere. And as we leave, once we do, let's refrain from speaking in the sanctuary here until we get out in the lobby. This is a place of prayer. This is a place of consecration, a place of response. And as we do, I believe that as we come to the altar, there will be friends that will come and, and to support you. Or maybe you need to be the friend and say, you know what? You're coming with me. You need this. Either way. Lord, I pray that you just use us in these next few moments. God, I pray for your hand to be with us. And Lord, as we give our hearts, our lives to you, Lord, we need your power, your presence in our lives. Lord, I pray that right now that you would just move in this place, meet needs according to your riches and glories. And Lord, for those of us that are slipping away now or will be in a few moments, Lord, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, you have needs in your life, I'm just curious, would you come and let's pray together. Let's believe God for miracles in this place. Who would be the first to come? Come on, let's fill this place with a continued uh, seeking the Lord this morning. We are here to meet with the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise and worship team. Continue to lead us as you feel, feel led to do so. And if you've got to slip out, God bless you. Go with the grace of God. We love you so much. Thank you for being here.